This morning, I'd like to wrap up what I started when I arrived from Manila. God impressed upon me to challenge all of us as to why we should obey the commandments. And from Matthew 28, teaching them to obey all. So it is important to know what we're supposed to obey. And I shared with you the, mot the three motivations why we should obey the commandments is number one, it sets us apart from other people. Secondly, because we want to show God how much we appreciate our salvation and we want to love Him back. God's love language is obedience. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And thirdly, I shared with you that when we obey God and His commandments, it becomes a bridge. It becomes an effective witness of our lives to other people that they might also hear and see what the gospel is all about. And we broke it down. We discussed the Ten Commandments. First was, first two was idolatry, which is really adultery. You shall not have, we'll read it later. The second two, holy name, holy day. The next three, I entitled, how should you love me? Let me count the ways. How do we love God? Not Elizabeth Barrett Browning's sonnet that how do I love thee, but how do you love me, says God. And then the last three we discussed last week, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Because the moment you let that thought linger, it'll trickle down to your heart. And when it trickles down to your heart many times, it needs to be acted out. And many times, that is sin. So, as a recap, let's all stand and read the Ten Commandments from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Let's read. I am You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath to keep, keep it holy as the Lord God commanded you. Verse 16. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for your word. You do not change. Your word does not change. Your purposes does not change. Lord, it is we who change. It's we who turn our back against you. Father, forgive us. Even as we come to listen to your word, will you speak to me, through me, Lord God? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I confess my total dependence upon your word, upon your spirit, Lord God, to deliver your word without apology, but with the power that comes from your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. Be pleased, Lord, at the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now we discuss the timeline. And we see from Scripture that the Israelites were in bondage. Yes. They were in bondage to the Egyptians, where they were slaves, where they were treated less than people. They were considered things. They were considered property that they can do. The owners could do whatever they wished. And God starts 
in verse 6, and it says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And at the very first, we said, unless we are able to rationalize who God is, who the I am part is, then we will not be able to appreciate the you shalls. Get it? We have to first establish the who this I am is. That this God is a holy God. And this holy God now tells me, I shall. I am, therefore, you shall. If you and I still debate about who this I am is, then you will not even bother to think about the you shalls. Because unless we realize the authority of this person who's giving us this command and establish a personal relationship with God, then you and I will not bother to obey all that he has given us. So he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It is the I am who has set us free. Remember the song? We've been set free. What? From slavery. But you say, I'm not a slave. The Bible says you are a slave to whatever you do. So if you sin, guess what? You're a slave to what? To sin. But God, He has delivered us. He has set us free. Now that you are free, you can follow the commands. Get the idea? We're set free. God has given us His commands. And since He has given us His commands, and we're free, the question at the topic of my message this morning is, why the commands then? I'm free. I'm free. There was this story, don't know if you read about years ago. He was incarcerated. He was in prison. And after serving his sentence, he was released. You know what? He broke in. You know where he broke in? He broke in back to prison. Because when he was released, he had no life to look forward to. Imagine, he broke back into prison. Why? In prison, I have security guard. I have a bed. I have three square meals. See? If we do not know how to live as free, the tendency is we will go back. Because that's the only life we know. Why then the Ten Commandments? What is the role of the Ten Commandments in our lives? Look at what Jesus Christ says. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish. But what? To fulfill. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, is God finished? Is God done? Not yet. Because there are many things still written in the Bible that have not yet been accomplished. So is the word of God still relevant today? Yes. Unfortunately, there are many churches who minimize, focus on the word of God. Why? Let's be more seeker sensitive. So in a sense, some churches have watered down the Bible. Some churches have even managed to water down the gospel. Oh, let's not talk about sin. Let's just talk about joy and happiness. Let's not talk about temptation and all of these negative stuff. Let's focus just on the positive stuff. But how can you appreciate 
the good if you do not appreciate the bad? How can you appreciate the white if you do not know the black? So the Bible, the Word of God, should be relevant to us, even as those who have been set free, they should be as relevant to us today as it was and is still relevant to those in the past and it will be as relevant to those who are in the future. Jesus Christ said, He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Right? Now, how did He fulfill the law? Look at this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, to whom does this verse apply? Verse 1. To whom does it apply? To us. Who else? Anyone and everyone who are in Christ Jesus. Right? If you are not in Christ Jesus, what are you under? Huh? There is now, there is there, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are not in Christ Jesus, you are under condemnation. And what is that condemnation? The wages, plural, of sin, singular, is death. That is a sentence of condemnation. But if you are in Christ, you are no longer condemned. Can you appreciate that? That because of Christ, being in Christ, I'm released. I'm no longer under the sentence of condemnation. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. But God's free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, how did God Effect this release from condemnation. Look at verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What kind of God would be a God who says the wages of sin is death and then change his mind? Ah... Uh, I think my mood tells me. Is that the kind of God you want to worship? Someone who is unfaithful to his word? Who changes? You know who changes? The devil. He's like a shifting shadow. God does not change. He said in Genesis, as early as Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman will crush your head. That is already a precursor to the coming Messiah. How did God fulfill the righteous requirements of the law of sin and death? He sent Jesus Christ to fulfill the law. Jesus Christ died so that those who are in Christ can be set free. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, we, we know that there are many, many commandments. And we know that we are not able to follow them. We can follow some. We can follow some all of the time. But we cannot follow all all of the time. Right? How did Jesus Christ explain this, therefore? Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Testing him. 
Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So who is a Pharisee? Pharisee is a religious leader of their time. He's an expert. And in this particular case, this Pharisee was an expert not only in religious stuff, he was also what? A lawyer. Ano? Not liar, lawyer. Yeah, you have bad impression about lawyer. Lawyer! Daddy Choco will get mad at you. The lawyer asked him, for what purpose? To test. Which is the greatest commandment? Remember, you're the Pharisee. You're supposed to be the one who have studied all of this, right? I'll put you to the test. Which is the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus Christ answered. And he said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. Now, very simple. First commandment is love. Love whom? Love God. Very easy. Remember the first four commandments deal with your relationship with God. Remember? You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall honor my name. You shall honor my day. Right? The first four are directed towards God. Same question. Same answer from Jesus Christ. You will love God. What's the qualification? With all your... Read it. May I know and I would like to shake the hand of the person who can fulfill Matthew 22, verse 37. Yes, we can love God with all our heart. Maybe with all our soul. But in your mind, remember when he said, do not commit adultery? If you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery. Oops, I don't make the grade. Okay, my mind is pure. My soul is pure, but my heart. New house. New car. Oh, I didn't say. <laughs> Remember, I withheld last week. See, your heart is led astray. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand the heart? So will we pass the grade? We will not pass the grade. That's just number one. How about number two? The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So how you love yourself, you love your neighbor. What you, what you would do for yourself, you give yourself the benefit of the doubt, you give the benefit of the doubt to the neighbor. Now those of you, in the world, if Pastor Peter was here, he will say very philosophical. You do not go to your neighbor's wife and apply this. God told me I must love my neighbor. Wrong application. Wrong application. Okay? Okay. We started with 10. God distilled it for us. Just two. How many are guilty as charged? We cannot. We cannot. We cannot Fulfill the righteous requirements of God's law. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. That through what he has done, he has fulfilled the law. So that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. Why the law? Why the commandments then? Why? Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and the world may become accountable to God. Did God through His Word just make you accountable? Through these two verses? God holds us accountable to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. 
And God makes us accountable to love one another as ourselves. Therefore, Romans 3.19 is correct. Right? The law makes us accountable. Look at verse 19. Because the works of the law, what? Can you read that? Because the works of the law, for, you see, you don't want to read it. Because it makes us accountable. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Here is God's law. Here am I. The purpose of the law, one of the purposes of the law is to make us conscious of how sinful we are. If we realize how sinful we are, we will realize how much we have been forgiven. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. The NIV translates it as, through the law we become conscious of sin. Now, Paul writes also, this time from Galatians, For as many are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curses everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, many people, you know, in the Philippines, there's called this, I think it was the Marcos era. Sariling Sika program. This is based on your own effort. Now, if you want to go to heaven based on your own effort, God says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. You see those quotations? They're from the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to go to heaven based on your performance, God will only accept perfection. You must be able to obey all of the law all of the time. No coffee break, no lunch break, no vacation, no sick days. 24-7 from the day you are born to the day you die. Can we fulfill the law? No. We become conscious of our sinfulness because of the law. And verse 11 tells us, Now that no one is justified by the law before God, is evident. Why? The righteous man shall live by faith. When you and I appreciate how much we have been forgiven, when you and I are able to appreciate how much we have been saved, then from that point onward, we begin to live a life, our spiritual walk with God, based on faith. We will no longer live on our ability to obey the law. We will begin to live by faith. Are you still with me? All right. Now, ito na naman. Same question. Why the law then? Why the commandments then? It was added for transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come whom the promise had been made. Genesis chapter 3. The law was put into effect until the seed. So, there's a timeline. The promise was given in Genesis chapter 3. What is the promise? That the seed of the woman, he, meaning male, will crush the serpent's feet, the, the crush the serpent's head, but the serpent would bruise the heel of the Messiah. Okay? Are you having that mental picture? So there's a timeline. There's a timeline being discussed over here. It was added because of the transgressions, last part, until the seed would come. And this seed is the promised seed, the promised Messiah. Now, in verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under, 
we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Now, when you hear the word or read the word custody, what's that, what does that mean? Huh? Sorry? Maybe jail, right? Or maybe you're leaving for a trip and you'll ask your friend to babysit your kids for a while. You are under the custody of that person, right? Look at verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor. For what purpose? To lead us to Christ. So that we might be justified by faith. Because the righteous shall live by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. So what is the purpose of the law? Before the promise has been fulfilled in Christ, the law was put in place to have custody over us, to be our tutor. What's a tutor? Pedagogos, tutor. Epitropos, an administrator. Someone who has authority over another. A short definition would be a steward. A guardian, a procurator, someone who is put in charge. Now, let me show you a short video. George, can you turn off the lights a bit? Now, tell me about this, okay? Okay. I'll start the floors. Do the dishes. Sit down and get the books. Come here, Cole. But it just seems like they're never off duty. Quinn. Are you girls literally trying to get all the chores done before she gets back? Yeah. So if the things are not done, what's Dad like when he gets home? Crabby. I just find it incredibly sad and irresponsible that these parents have not even just stop to think how much they're putting on their daughters. Sarah had told Brittany that she was going to be home by six o'clock. <gasps> you girl's tired. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're hungry. What do the kids have for dinner tonight? Anything? My mom said that she's going to bring home subs. What time is that then? We don't know, do we? Do you want to um, give your mum a call and find out when she's going to come back? There was Brittany, the teenager, calling her mum to see where she was. And it's like what parents do with the teenagers. It's six o'clock, where are you? You're meant to be home, you know? So she's not picking up her personal phone. So you're now ringing the studio phone. I would expect any mother, working or not, to have their phone on, especially under those circumstances. Okay. <laughs> Brittany's only done eight hours with the kids, so what's another hour? It's not going to hurt, is it? <laughs> it is. Yep. If you turned around and said to me, Joe, I just want to be a teenager, okay, what would that represent for you? Having a life. <laughs> this is right. just absurd. This really is. George, can we have the lights, please? Who was the lady in blue? Huh? The lady in blue? She not the nanny, is she? I don't think so. Don't we miss our nannies? Right? Oh, if only we were still in Manila. I have my Mila. I have my so-and-so, the nanny. Right? And many times, if your nanny like Armila has been with us since Lawrence, sometimes she acts more like the mother. And sometimes I have to remind her. <laughs> now, the nanny is put in charge. Right? Why? In this particular strip or clip, the mother's not there. But is the nanny the mother? 
Is the nanny the parent? The nanny is just a steward. The nanny is just a tutor. The nanny is just a custodian. The nanny is just a manager. But the nanny is not the parent. The law was put in charge over us as a tutor. To point us to the coming seed. The law is not the parent. The law is just the tutor. Until an appointed time that the seed, the Messiah Jesus Christ, would come. Therefore, if this is our life beginning with zero, this is zero when nothing except God was just there. Zero. And then you have the timeline all the way through eternity. Alright? So here's the law. When it was put into effect, it was supposed to point you somewhere. And that somewhere is the cross of Christ. And then everyone who comes after Christ receives grace. And what does grace point to? It points back to Christ. You see the timeline? The law points to Christ. After Christ, grace comes and points back to the cross. That's why justice, mercy, and grace met up at the cross of Jesus Christ. Justice is you get what you deserve. Mercy is you do not get what you deserve. Grace is you get something you do not deserve. That is what grace is all about. Romans 6 verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. Why? You are not under law, but under grace. And grace is what? The freedom that you and I experience being liberated from the law of sin and death. That grace, that unmerited favor, that blessing comes at the expense of the life of Jesus Christ. It is given to us freely, but it cost the Father dearly. God gave us His one and only Son so that you and I could be set free from the law of sin and death. So that you and I would no longer be subject to the condemnation that comes through the law. But because of Christ, you and I can be set free. You cannot work for grace. You cannot buy grace. Only Pastor Danny married grace. You cannot, buy, you cannot do anything to merit grace. That's why it's called grace. It's given freely. It's given undeservedly. If, it was, if you could pay for it, then it's no longer grace. It is freely given. Now, the law, because of the many years that it was put to be our tutor, these wise individuals in the book of Acts, they made the law something that it is not. They made the law and their practice of the law, they made it their religion. Look at Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Is that grace? Or is that performance? In verse 5, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So these guys, they're called the Judaizers, are now putting into place something or a principle called legalism. And this is where religion comes in. Religion imposes so many things. In their case, oh no, you have to be circumcised. 
if you are not circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. They're putting something that was not there even in the original. Oh, not only that. They must be circumcised and they must be required to obey the law. We just saw the law. The whole ten and the others we did not discuss distilled down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this, the law, of the, the, the law and the prophets depend. Now, can we? Can we obey the law? Do we have the capacity to completely obey the law? No. And here these guys adding more requirements. The law had become their idol. The law had become their religion. If you do not obey the law, you cannot be saved. What happened to grace? You just threw it out the window. Because it now depends on works righteousness. Meaning to say, your ability to perform. Your ability to live a righteous life. Which we all know we cannot. We cannot. Now look at this chart. Religion. If we obey, God will love us. I know it's a bit too small. So let me read for you. If we, religion says, if we obey God, if we obey, God will love us. The gospel of grace says, because God has loved us through Jesus, we can obey. The world is filled with good and bad people, religion says. The gospel of grace says, the world is filled with bad people who are either repentant or unrepentant. You should trust in what you do as a good moral person, religion says. You should trust in the perfectly sinless life of Jesus because he alone is the only good and truly moral person who will ever live. Religion says the goal is to get from God such things as health, wealth, insight, power, and control. The gospel of grace says the goal is not the gift God gives, but rather God as a gift given to us by grace. Religion says, what I have to do for God to love me. The gospel of grace says, what I get to do because God has perfectly loved me through Jesus. Religion says, religion is about me. The gospel of grace says, the gospel is about Jesus. Religion says, religion leads to uncertainty about my standing before God because I never know if I have done enough to please Him. The gospel of grace says, the gospel leads to a certainty about my standing before God because of the finished work of Jesus on my behalf at the cross. Religion says, Religion ends in either pride because I think I am better than other people or despair because I continually fall short of God's commands. The gospel of grace says the gospel ends in humble and confident joy because of the power of Jesus at work for me, in me, through me, and sometimes in spite of me. Now where would you rather be? You want to work for your salvation? Depend on religion to save you? Which we know that from what we have discussed so far, we will not be able to do? Or would you like to trust in the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary? The sacrifice that God the Father will accept. It's really up to you. But, you know, there are people who after hearing that the gospel of grace brings such blessing and freedom. Ah! That's what I like. To be free. God has set me free. Therefore, I can live as I want. Because God has set me free. Yes? Let's see what some people did. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. 
Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave of obedience, you are a slave to whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. A person who has truly understood the gospel of grace would not want to continue in a lifestyle of sin. Because you are only enslaved to that which what you do. So if you say you're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and your life, your lifestyle is colored predominantly by sin, in Lakewood, we have this word, namumutakti. Pardon me for the, our uh, foreign uh, guests. It's tattered with sin. You probably, brother, sister, you're probably still enslaved to your sin because you obey your master. Look at the attitude of the believers in Rome. Ah! Let's sin more. Why? Because the more you sin, the more you receive grace. Oh, we should sin more. Right? When you go into the department store, what? Further reduction. So your eyes just go, where's that further reduction? Right? Because you want more. Less 50, less 20. Oh, this is what we'll buy. Less 50, less 20, less 10. Dito tayo. Because you want more. Now, look at the mindset. Oh, we have grace. So let's sin some more so that we can receive more grace. What did Paul say? May it never be. May it never be. There are even some who are worse. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Christ. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which once for all handed down to the saints. So there's a problem. You, can you hear the heart of Jude? I'm, I want to earnestly contend with you. There's a problem. And what is this problem? Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who take the grace of God as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Do you play Monopoly? You throw the dice. Oh, go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass. Go. Do not connect to 100. You either pay, you roll a double dice, or you draw a get out of jail free card. Correct? Yes. Ah, salvation is by grace. I don't have to pay for it because Jesus Christ paid for it already. Yes. So you mean, all, you mean to say, all I need to do is accept Jesus Christ? Pray a prayer and I will be saved? Well, the Bible says anyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. I lie. Gusto ko yan. Why? I can be saved and I can continue to sin because Jesus Christ paid for it all. This is what they're doing. They are changing the grace of God as a license to sin. Is that the purpose for which God has given us grace? No. You see, in the Old Testament, God set the law. The law is to point you to Christ. When Christ came, grace points you back to Christ. You are free because of Christ. Now that you are free, Jesus Christ must be the Lord of your life. Look at the last. And by your continuous disobedience in this particular passage, they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. If you say that you are a child of God and continue in a lifestyle of sin, is Jesus really your Lord? Is Jesus really your Master? 
Or are you still the master of your life? Is sin still your master? The law was put in place for a purpose. God did not set aside the law. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. So that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. For we shall not be under law, for we are under grace. Do not trample underfoot the grace of God. To even think that because I prayed a prayer, I am saved. If it is just prayer, then why is God telling us to do this? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We would all be wrong, Pastor Danny and I and all the other CCF pastors and all other pastors who preach based on this would be wrong. Now that you're under grace, there's nothing to obey. Let's throw the whole book out the window. Why? Because I'm under grace. Do you think that's how really God wants us to live? Do you really think that's how God wants us to respond to the cross of Jesus Christ? Ah, that's okay, Jesus Christ already paid for my sin. Okay, man. What if you were Jesus Christ? I paid for that sin. So what? You're supposed to do that anyway. I paid for that sin. Never mind, it's just a small sin. I only stole $2,000. That other guy, you should talk to him. He stole $2 million. I paid for that. The paper clips that you brought home <laughs> from the office, those are not yours. I call that stealing. That's not stealing. That's taking liberty of my budget. Come on, guys. Let's get serious. That's why Pastor Danny has been encouraging me and the rest of your leadership. Let's stop calling ourselves Christians. Let's, call, let's begin to call ourselves followers. Because, friends, you can call yourself a Christian all your life. But until and unless you have begun to follow, please, do not call yourself a disciple. Do not call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You pray, I prayed the prayer many years ago. So what? If you begin to obey by faith, the people will see, oh yes, you are indeed a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you keep on saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower, and your life does not reflect your testimony, quote unquote, in the words of Pastor Peter, on you, your lips will go to heaven. Because all you do is, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I'm like this, I'm like that. But your life, nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe in heaven we will see you just like that. I don't know. Come on, let's get serious with God. Why? Because God takes sin so seriously that he sacrificed his one and only son. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to be victorious over sin. One pastor that I listened to in the morning while going to work said this, God the Father did everything possible to make sure that we have the opportunity to go to heaven. The only thing that God did not touch that God did not tweak, that God did not take back, was free will. God had prepared and provided anything and everything necessary for salvation, except to take away the free will that has given to man. You see, it is still our choice. Whether we will believe or not. Whether we will repent or not. So, what shall we do? 
Well, may I give you just two applications. First, test yourself. Don't test others. It's not our role. Test yourself. Test yourself. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine, not your neighbor. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you? What's the warning? Unless you fail the test. Why should I examine myself? If I begin to look and examine other people, I will compare myself to them. I'm better than him, but he's better than me. But if I compare myself to Christ, you know what I'm saying? I cannot say anything if I compare my sinfulness to the holiness of God. Test yourself. Don't look around. So and so is not here again, huh? <laughs> so and so did not attend the D group again. <clears throat> <clears throat> you, are you attending the D group? You, are you attending the worship service? You are. Don't look at other people. Bible says, test yourself. Now, what is the biggest test? You buy this mirror. Okay? If you have compact, very small, you can only see part. So you buy this. If you have, I'm just joking. Okay? Get this mirror. You look. Prove yourselves doers and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You see that? Be ye not only hearers, but doers of the word. Because if you only hear and you do not do, what are you doing? You are deceiving yourselves. Jesus Christ calls you a fool in Matthew 7. If you hear the word and do not do, you are a fool. You are building the foundation of your life on shifting sand. When the storms of life come, your house will crash with a loud roar. Test yourself. Look at the mirror. Be doers of the word and not only hearers. Why? The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed. Look at the mirror. Judge the person in the mirror. And you tell that person in the mirror whether you are really a follower of Jesus Christ or not. Second, be in a discipleship group. Ayan na naman, sabi ko na nga ba. Of course, we will preach being in discipleship group. Why? This is what we are commanded to be and to do and to be in. We must spend the rest of our lives in a discipleship relationship. Who will help me grow? In my walk, huh? About the physical, cannot do anything anymore. Who will help me grow in my spiritual walk? I need people. I don't know about you. I need people. I have many blind spots. I need people with me and around me to help me. Chong, bro. Hebrews 12. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many defile. Why did I choose this? If you desire to be in a discipleship relationship, that relationship will allow you to introduce a person to the grace of God. See, God doesn't want anyone to miss the grace of God. He said, I desire all men be saved. 
Do not forget one thing that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day because God is giving us time to repent. If you are in a discipleship relationship, you are able to share the gospel, the gospel of grace. And maybe there will be people who will come who do not understand the gospel of grace. They are coming short. In other translations, it will read, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. So how can I, how can I encourage this brother or this sister, this parent or this child? Except in a discipleship relationship. James 5, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Where does that take place? In the small group discipleship meeting. Where you are able to really share your struggles, your victories, your understanding of the law, your understanding of the grace of God. In the discipleship relationship, because we are all fallen, that is another place where we can exercise grace. To consider others better than yourselves. To follow the model of Jesus Christ of humility and selflessness. Rather to judge the person, a member of your D-group. Nako. Malabo. But, oh. Guys, before we start judging each other, which we shouldn't do anyway, remember, I am as fallen as this other person. I need the grace of God as much as this other person. Paul says, let us stop judging one another. Let's walk our walk. And let's help each other in strengthening our walk. Because we are under grace. We are no longer under the law. And those of us who have accepted Christ by faith, we live out the rest of our spiritual lives by faith. For the righteous shall live by faith. Just two applications. Test yourself. Am I really in the faith? Do I really understand what Jesus Christ has done for me? Secondly, am I in a discipleship relationship? Because in the discipleship group, be it one-on-one, -on -one, be it in a group setting, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we really exercise the grace of God. Many times, we want to apply the grace of God to us. But we do not want to apply the grace of God to others. Many times, we want to apply the grace of God to us but we want to apply the law to others. Oh, isn't that true? Oh, God, thank you for the grace. Oh, you were absent at the Bible study, huh? I think you are in sin. You did not do your quiet time. You are a very weak Christian. I did not see you at worship huh, for the last three days. Pastor, I was dead. Oh, just kidding. Let us look at ourselves. How can I improve? Guys, if that's our question, I will do whatever it takes for me to improve. Correct? God, how can I improve? God will show you. In the discipleship group, guys, how can I improve? If God will not show you, your D-group members will tell you. Why the commands then? 
the command was set in place to be a tutor, to be a guide, to be a steward, and to point to the coming of Messiah. Now that Messiah has come, the grace of God points to the cross of Jesus. The question is this. Number one, have you come to faith in Christ? Have you received the grace of God? You are no longer under law, you are under grace. All you need to do is to sincerely come to faith in Christ with the commitment, Lord, not only will I accept the free gift of salvation that is in Christ, I commit to follow your commands because I love you, because you have set me free, because by living the life as modeled by Jesus Christ, a life of humility and selflessness, I will be able to become a good witness to the people around me. Second, if you're already in Christ, can I remind you that you're no better than the other person? I'm no better than you because I too need the grace of God. So if by chance you have been judgmental towards others, can you please bring that up to the Lord and lay it at His feet? Lord, I am guilty of applying the law to them but not applying the law to me. Lord, I am guilty of taking your grace but not being a channel of grace. That's between you and the Lord. God, as we give your Holy Spirit the, the freedom to move in this place and speak to our hearts. If you're stirring our hearts, Lord God, in these two areas, first I pray that your Spirit will move and convict the person who does not yet have a personal relationship with you. We don't need to work for it. We don't need to struggle with it. All we need to do is to humbly accept your grace. Lord, if my brothers and sisters here are already in Christ Jesus, as we have received your grace, Lord, teach us, Lord, to be more gracious to others, to consider others better than ourselves, to put the desires and needs and wants of others before ourselves. Because this is what Jesus Christ did for us. He did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a human being, became a slave, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Lord, teach us to be more humble, to be more sacrificial, to be more gracious, so that as you work in our lives, as we surrender our lives to you, and give your Holy Spirit the liberty to work in and through us. God, may we, may, may we be an effective witness to the people around us. And we pray, Lord God, that you will give us the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them as well. Lord, if my brothers and sisters who are here who are not yet in a discipleship relationship, I don't know their personal, individual circumstances, Lord God. But I know, Lord, for myself, that I would not have grown spiritually if I were not in any discipleship relationship. Lord God, you have commanded us to make disciples, and, and, and that arena, Lord God, that venue is in a discipleship relationship. Will you speak to us, Lord, and give us the urgency? Give us the desire. Give us the boldness to come into a discipleship relationship so that we can help one another and encourage one another on towards love and good deeds. If you're here this morning and you do not know or you're not sure about your eternal destiny, then may I encourage you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The prayer of faith does not save you. It is your faith because of the grace of God that saves you. So if you're here this morning, just 
from your heart say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I acknowledge that only Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for all of my sins. And I humbly open the door of my heart and invite you to come into my life to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that now lives in my heart that will empower me to be the kind of godly, God-fearing, Christian, follower of Jesus Christ that you want me to be. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.